The following is a hoop ball presentation. What 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 what? I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You know where you can find me if you don't on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is a hoop ball presentation, as you heard at the outset. Here's the onset, right? It's the onset. There you go. Check that out, hoop-ball.com on Twitter at hoopballtweets. Guess what? Fantasy might be done, but the basketball content just don't stop. You already know because of this show, but also a plethora of team-specific podcasts, Fantasy NBA Today. There is so much going on on hoop ball that it, it it would just be a disservice to yourself as a basketball fan not to check them out so again i tell you hoop-ball.com or on twitter at hoop ball tweets definitely make sure to give that some love y'all this is who the playoffs man they are they are something else got a team down 0-2 we got a bunch of other series tied one to one we have standout performances we have a lot of chippiness in this postseason a lot of chippiness and i've struggled to figure out how to break it down in a way that makes the most sense so i figured i'm just gonna start with the games that happened last night and then what we're gonna do is kind of go down uh basically series by series moving forward i mean and kind of recap it east coast west coast style got to make it different got to make a round ball ramble style still trying to figure that out so that's what we're going to do but we got to start off with just almost feeling feel let me get some news out the way first all right so jordan clarkson was announced uh six man of the year this uh this week clarkson averaged 18 points four rebounds three assists 34 percent from three uh you know, TNT had a nice little presentation. I like the way that the NBA is doing this, by the way. We don't need that corny award show. I liked it better when they were kind of giving these awards during the playoffs, especially for MVP, the home game, you know, in the playoffs where you're awarded to the guy. Like, why can't we go back to that? Why mess up such a good thing? Anyways, for the TNT broadcast, um, they had fellow sixth man of the year candidates. Uh, front runner was really Jordan Clarkson, uh, New York's Derrick Rose, and then fellow, uh, Clarkson teammate or Utah Jazz player Joe Ingles and it was really cool to have Joe Ingles presented to Clarkson Clarkson be shocked them you know show some love it was really kind of nice to see and honestly if I had my say I would have probably said six man of the year to Derek Rose only because I think that his impact on the New York Knicks was more so than just scoring you know he was the floor general there he he brought that veteran leadership there that actually is important you know he helped sell the team down forget the clutch buckets but also you know very good playmaking someone that uh could take over controls the offense and not have it run solely through Julius Randle I just thought his impact on the Knicks was more I guess effective than Clarkson who was able to do basically what Clarkson uh, needed to do to be the fully realized version of himself, which is come on the floor and just rain fire and get buckets. And he did that at a very high level, at least from three, he shot somewhere on the 40% area overall. But like, while that's good, I think that having Derrick Rose there would have made it key um, in terms of future six man of the year, like votings or conversations. So it's not just the top bench score, which it has been, I don't know, for maybe, what, the past seven years or so? You know, I think it would have been a lot better that way. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, Julius Randle, speaking of him, he won most improved player. And he definitely did improve. Um, last year, for instance, 19 points, 9 rebounds, 3 assists per game. Still solid, right? Shot 27% from 3, which isn't super great, but his 3-pointer, you know, hadn't really come around. Let's take that, again, 19, 9, and 3, 27% from 3, and look at it from this year. 
24 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists per game, shooting the three ball, not only at a high clip in terms of like getting them up, but a high percentage. 41% from three. From 27 to 41, what, that's a 14% difference? Ooh, quick math, Corbin. Okay, I surprise myself sometimes. Y'all. I'm not good with the numbers usually, but every dog got his day. Anyway, that was something that I was like, wow. Like, most improved. I mean, it was clear it was the runaway, boom. Now, rookie of the year and stuff, I got thoughts. Anthony Edwards, baby. But anyway, you know, we're going to let that go for now. Um, kind of want to go into just the elephant in the room, which is Los Angeles Clippers. And let me tell you, as a Lakers fan, I mean... This is glorious. Um, I definitely would recommend checking out the Hoopball Clippers podcast. I most certainly will because I really want to see how Brandon Marcus uh, tries to make peace with the fact that the Clippers are down 0-2 to the Dallas Mavericks after their 121, that's how many points they scored, uh, to Dallas's 127 in their loss. Uh, Dallas now leads 2-0 heading back to Dallas. And I, it was, there was so much there, man. Luke, Luka Doncic. For one, 22 years old, man, this guy is a monster. 39 points for Luka. Tim Hardaway Jr. added 28. They just outshot the best three-point team in the NBA, and this is what I was worried about with the Clippers. They had all these records, you know, one of the best shooting teams, this and that, but the variance on shooting, and mind you, the Clippers have very good shooters. You just can't expect them all to fall all the time. That's not how it works, and when it doesn't, and another team gets hot, how do they adjust? And right now, we're starting to see some of the warts with the Clippers, you know? We're starting to see, okay, Vita Zubac in certain matchups is not very good, especially against Luka Doncic. It's a different Luka Doncic than last year, and I think Ty Lue's taking forever to realize that. Defensively, speaking of that, the Clippers are just horrible. I mean, Pat Beverly, how many times does Luka Doncic have to score on him and yell, he's too deep and small for, you know, Ty Lue and the coaching staff to maybe realize that as dogged as Pat Beverly can get on his opponent, and as much of a pest as he can be, he is not really impacting Luka Doncic that much. He just isn't. Luka's getting away once, usually getting away once at the time, and Pat Bevis helpless to stop that. And they keep going to it again and again and again. Pick and roll switch. Boom. And one. Pick and roll switch. Boom. He's too small. Like, come on. A lack of adjusting for Ty Lue. It reminds me of um, what Doc Rivers said in Philadelphia. He was kind of being asked about uh, some of, you know, the Clipper struggles. And I don't want to really uh, take the question verbatim or re- reinterpret it because I don't remember the exact phrasing. But basically, he was kind of in an odd position to compare himself to his uh, successor in Ty Lue. And basically, you know, Doc was candid. He said, hey, I made these moves. Ty Lue was right next to me. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that made me laugh so hard because I'm like, yo, he ain't lying, though. <laughs> like, if Ty Lue had something especially profound, you know, that would have impacted the series last year against Denver, he wouldn't he brought it to the table? Because so far, there are no adjustments. Like, you're really going to tell me that you have uh, uh, a Serge Ibaka who's plus 12 in 12 minutes, barely play. Mind you, I think Serge Ibaka is still dealing with injury personally, so I guess I'm going to take that back a little bit. But if not, there is no reason. You know what I mean? I think you have to realize that having some iota of defense on Luka Doncic is a problem. I mean, Tim Hardaway got free because they sold out on Doncic. Um, Tim Hardaway hit a career-high six three-pointers. Doncic added five. Dallas hit 18-34 overall. And by the way, they hit 17 on game one over the weekend. Christoph Porzingis had 20. Maxi Kleber had 13. Like, this was a lot. And mind you, it wasn't like the Clippers were that horrible. Kawhi Leonard had 41, 30 of which was in the first half. Paul George, he did okay, 28-12-6. Not bad. But this is something else. And, I mean, for Ty Lue to say this, he was asked, you know, and he's like, oh, are you concerned? You know, the basic question, how do you feel? Ty Lue said, I'm not concerned. 
They won two games in our home floor, and now we got to return the favor. You know, we still got to win. They still got to win four games. We said, you know, whoever wins has to win four games. But he was wrong because no, the Mavericks don't have to win four games anymore. The Mavericks just have to win two. Y'all have to win four. And are y'all really saying that y'all have the mental fortitude, just that strength, championship experience, hardened over trials and trials again and again to say, you know what, we're going to Dallas, we're taking two, we're going to bring it back home, we're going to come and take it. Do we really think that for the LA Clippers? Do we really think that? I don't. I don't. I already felt kind of some type of way about Kawhi Leonard to begin with. Great player, great player, but like terms of leadership and tangibles, I mean, he has had the perfect situation up to this point in his career. He drafted by San Antonio, able to learn, you know, uh, integral facets of the game that you didn't have when you first came to the NBA. You know, really build out your shooting, build that out, have that time to go from, you know, uh, just a really good defender to like a super wingman to, okay, we transition the Spurs team to you. Then you go from there, you know, things fall out sour taste in your mouth, boom, you go to Toronto where you can just slide right in as just the guy they need, we just need someone to get buckets consistently in the clutch, just get buckets, he does that, he does that well, boom, comes to LA, eh, had a pretty good year, you know, but he's still growing out his passing game, still trying to be more of an all-around complete player, his defense slipped some, but that's understandable because he's had more offensive responsibility over the couple of years, but now you have to take that vocal leadership role, and on a Clippers team last year that you go on that has guys that were more established that were actually, you know, kind of playing a pretty decent team. They were kind of a part of a pretty decent team in a Pat Bath, in a Lou Williams, in a Montrez Harrell. You have to go in there, kind of, uh, uh, not not uh, acclimate yourself there, but just kind of, you know, be that leader. Like, hey, you know, I'm new here. I'm going to try to lead us. We're going to go together. And that did not work out the way. Apparently, you heard... Um, just the think pieces and stuff about the Clippers. You saw how they flamed out 3-1. You saw Montrezl Harrell. You've seen Lou Williams be traded. You see what's going on, right? So this year, you're different. New coach. Now you're shooting more threes. You know, now you're you're being more of a modern game. Paul George has had this game change, even though he's playing pretty much exactly the same way as he was last year. You know, there's different ways now that they're more dangerous, and yet, they're not. And then you go, okay, you know, we're going to try to avoid the Lakers in the 3-6 matchup. Whether you believe that, or you believe that the Clippers chose to seek out Dallas, which in retrospect sounds even stupider, your call. I'm not making that decision for you, whatever you want to feel, but that just makes it worse because now, yes, the Clippers are hitting just, I mean, not the Clippers, the Mavericks are hitting what has to be a sustainable amount of threes. I mean, Dallas is 18 or 34 last night. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. Okay. The Clippers, though, I mean, we're going to go by that. They, they led the league 41% from three. They went 13 or 33. It's not horrible. In the fourth quarter, they came and cut it low. You know, down to what as as low as four points, but it, all in all, this was just ah, I don't know. What do you say? What do you say? So yeah, I mean, are the Clippers in trouble? Absolutely. I mean, will they come back? Can they tie the series? Yeah, of course they can. I don't have any doubt of that. I just don't know if they have it to go. Okay, we're gonna go from being oh down oh two to coming back. You know, winning two on their floor. I think they'll come back three one, and then they're fighting for their lives. And can they force a game seven? Yeah, I mean, they have the talent to do so. But so far, I mean, if the role players for Dallas keeps performing like they have, shots keep going down, the Clippers have no way of defending Luka Doncic, um, consistently at least, because it's not even just him, it's everybody. They had one play where, I mean, some of Tim Hardaway's six threes were just, oh, we're doubling down, we're lost in space, and then he's just stepping in. He's already a good shooter on his own. Doesn't need any extra incentive, like six feet of open space.
So, I don't know. As for Dallas, you got to give him props. I mean, Luka, man. I mean, for people who didn't think he'd be this good, I raised my hand. I definitely had DeAndre Ayton going number one overall. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, although, Ayton's been playing well. We'll talk about him in a second. But looking back, that wasn't my finest hour, which is why I'm not a draft expert, you know. But, you know, we try. You do the work. You, you look at the scouting reports. You make an estimated, educated decision. Estimated. Anyway. And you go from there. But the fact that Luka Doncic, um, the fact that more people didn't see this, dude's a monster. You know, in the post, you know, he's much improved his jump shot going from deep. That step back that's becoming a signature shot in a way that was for Harden's, but even deeper, you know, um, he's just a matchup nightmare. And once the supporting cast steps up so far, they've been playing well for this series. But I just mean like in seasons to come, you know, Josh Richardson had a bounce back game tonight, last night. But, you know, he's had a kind of rough year. He hasn't been great, and you still don't have that second guy. Porzingis at 20, but Porzingis doesn't seem to be that that second banana to Luka. He's more like that third guy, supporting cast type guy. You know, that's where I'm at right now. So, you know, once he gets a supporting group around him that's that's really fire, um, look out for Dallas. I mean, shoot, look out for them now, right? <laughs> All right, we got to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Yeah, no, I, I don't like Brooklyn, but that's besides the point. Brooklyn's hard, man. Brooklyn is a hard guard. And Boston is finding out firsthand. If they didn't know, now they do. If you don't know, now you know. You know. Get it? Because, yeah. It's been horrible. Uh, Brooklyn just routed Boston last night. 130-108 to in a game that, believe it or not, wasn't even as close as the final score might lead you to believe. They lead the series 2-0. I mean, I guess the star of the show was actually Joe Harris with seven three-pointers. Uh, just tied a franchise playoff record with those threes, was on fire from the absolute get. Remember, Harris uh, led the NBA in three-point percentage at a very, very strong 47.5%. He made his first couple, made three straight threes to extend a three-point lead to a 25-13 lead, and then dribbled down a breakaway, pulled up. I mean, I mean, it, it's just, it's just crazy. It's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. And for the record, the one that he pulled up when he was going down, he went all the way. Like, I thought he was going to pull up. I was like, okay, here we go. Like, he's about to heat check him. Nope. Took the layup. Played with himself. Played well. Um, Just another day in the life for Harris, really. I mean, it was rough. I mean, after the first quarter, it was 40 to 26. Open the second quarter, what happened? Oh, oh, you know, just James Harden hitting two straight threes. 20-point game, game was over. Game was over. I watched on and off a little bit here and there. Um, but the game was a wrap from them. I mean, Irving had a pedestrian 15.6 rebounds and 6 assists, and he could have done really whatever he wanted. Kevin Durant scored 26 on just white-hot efficiency. This was just a rough game. Um, Boston had no answer. They've now lost 9 straight playoff games against the Nets. Is going back, way back, a couple years back, and are 2-10 against them in the playoffs. Uh, you know, it's just been rough. Uh, Jason Tatum did leave the game early, well, early in terms of Late in the third, um, he was poked in his right eye by Kevin Durant uh, during a scuffle for the ball. Um, but even then, he really wasn't that effective. He only had nine points on three of 12 shooting for the evening. Marcus Smart led Boston with 19 points. Kemba Walker had 17 off the bench. You had a, a pretty decent uh, double-double by Tristan Thompson who had 15 points and 11 rebounds. Really, Boston's only kind of paint presence, and I mean that just in terms of getting any rebound because Boston is just overmatched, underwhelmed. They, they just don't have it in them. And I I don't know. I feel bad for them. I don't feel that bad because, I mean, their fault to get, I mean, you want to make the playoffs, but 
Jason Tatum went off, went crazy, and, you know, you have to believe you can beat some teams, but this Brooklyn team, I'm really just as a fan of competitive basketball, just can't wait for them, just give the Celtics, congratulations, you tried, send them home, they're injured, shorthanded, out of it, dispirited, bye, right? Have them wait. Bucks net second round. Let's just cut through all the theatrics and get there right now, all right? You think the Miami Heat are going to offer Milwaukee much resistance? I don't. But before we get there, um, game three for Kyrie Irving is going to be important. It's his first time playing in front of Boston since he left two years ago as a free agent. And so he played two years in Boston, very tumultuous years. He said he'd like to stay in Boston, apparently changed his mind in one year and was out. Um, when he was asked what he expected, he said it's not his first time playing in Boston as an opponent, which it isn't. You know he had several playoff series with Boston as a member of the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's he's been an opponent many times, and what he said was interesting to me. He said, "I'm looking forward to competing with my teammates, and hopefully, we can just keep it strictly basketball. There's no belligerence or any racism going on, subtle racism, people yelling stuff in the crowd. But even if it is, it's part of the nature of the game, and we're just going to focus on what we can control." Now, he was asked if he experienced that before, and he said, "I'm not the only one that can attest to it, but it is what it is." I find it very interesting, and I applaud Kyrie for calling out, holding fans accountable for the things that they said. In the heat of action, no excuse. Can't let the stuff go on. Shouldn't be 2020 that should make you think that, but just in general, it shouldn't be something that flies. Kyrie's already putting it out there on blast. Let's keep it to a minimum. Uh, there's a difference between enjoying the game, having fun, being competitive, and crossing all sorts of lines, especially in this day and age, but just in general. So props to Kyrie. Give him his flowers for saying that. Um, and so far, I mean, it's been chippy all over the playoffs, but we haven't seen that type of... Uh, action in terms of fan crowd interaction, not like Utah crowd with Russell Westbrook a couple years back or anything of that nature, which is good because you're just getting fans back in the building. The last thing you need to do is have fans back in and have an unpleasant situation for everyone involved. Not what we need. We just don't need that. That's just stupid, right? Right. Speaking of the heat, (sighs) heat are down 0-2 on Milwaukee, and I haven't been too high on the Heat to begin with. I really wasn't high on them from last year in terms of a bubble team that, as again, I have to preface this, the Lakers fan is weird to say, they just got hot when, you know, the Lakers also got hot, especially from, you know, shooting, you know, from from the field, from three. Uh, You look at guys like uh, Anthony Davis, who just got just supernova. You look at guys like KCP, who took over Rondo, who had games. But you look at that and you're like, hey, you know, that's the Lakers were a better team all season. Miami was in the mix, and then in the playoff in the playoffs during the bubble, they just kind of took off in a way that hey, they adjusted to a neutral environment, whatever the case may be. Not having to play against home fans might have made a difference. You could find a variety of factors for why it was what it was, but Milwaukee just ran rough shot all the way to the finals, where they finally fell apart due to injury, and the Lakers won. I feel they would have won anyway, but that's neither here nor there. This year things are a little different. You know, Goran Dragic was. You know, 35, he's playing like it and not in a good way. Um, Jimmy Butler. <laughs> Let's talk about Jimmy Butler. Uh, over the last two games, and, and by the way, like I said, they got just killed by Milwaukee uh, in a game that will forever known, forever now be known as the Bryn Forbes game, and it wasn't even close. They beat Miami 132-98. to uh, They won a close one over the weekend, 109-107, so they also have a 2-0 lead in the playoffs, and <sighs> Jimmy Butler, what is wrong with Jimmy Butler, I wish I could tell you, that's why I'm asking, because I have no clue, he has struggled big, 
Game one, he shot four for 22. Game two, oh, you know, just two for 10. He has been very, very, very bad for the series so far. 13 points per game on uh, ice cold. Ice cold, we talking like outcast. Ice cold. 25% from the field, but get this, even lower from three. 22% from three. Go to the free throw line. You think got some freebies, right? 64% from the free throw line. It was rough. My fault. Game two, I said two for 10. He shot four for 10. He was a minus 34. 10 points on 10 field goal attempts, four assists, two rebounds, two steals, 31 minutes, minus 34. He put the heel on his back for much of last season. But right now, I feel like he's checked out. I don't know if that's to do with the Sham Sharani athletic post that got uh, a fire back from uh, Butler's uh, agent about, uh, you know, Butler having testy moments with the coaching staff or Butler and Eric Spolster having a little predicament that Butler actually admitted to. But if it's something about not playing hard and having some back and forth, this is coming out the worst time for Miami in the worst possible way. Because Virginia Butler, to be a guy that went to Miami that you're building this team around, and to come up doing that nonsense? Come on, y'all. That nonsense? Come on, y'all. What do you say to that? Okay? I mean, there's a lot more there at play. Tyler Heroes just stunk the bed. Bam Adebayo could be a lot more aggressive. You know, Goran Dragic has had his moments. Duncan Robinson, the same thing. But collectively, the Miami Heat could do a better job across the board. Uh, you know, maybe not let Bryn Forbes go off for six threes, you know, in the first half. Maybe not do that. Um, but just in general. They, they had enough plays in game one where if they just converted a few more shots, they would have probably taken that game. But game two was nowhere near close. And that is not a confidence builder for a Miami Heat team that is now down 0-2 against... Not only, in my opinion, a superior Milwaukee team, but a team that's playing superior. It's one thing to be a better team. It's something to play up to that level. And if you can't match that energy or that intensity, you're going down. In Miami Heat, I feel like they're going down. Their whole world upside down. Why am I singing tonight? I don't know. I really don't know. I just have the song bug in in my ear. Anyway, yeah, so that's something I'm looking at. Um, Lakers, Suns, gotta talk about them. Lakers tied the series 1-1 last night in a hard-fought game over the resilient, spunky, how many other acronyms or synonyms can I use to describe a hard-working, gritty, just, I don't know. I said it all, the Suns. The number two seed, Phoenix Suns, uh, who play very, very strong, just a really good team. <laughs> you really can't say anything more about the Suns in terms of respect than that. Uh, Lakers tied it up, 109-102. Uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James definitely led the way. You know what they say, stars don't have, or superstars don't have two bad games in a row. And uh, I guess that was true for Anthony Davis and LeBron James. If that's the case, they passed the test. AD had 34 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, and 3 blocked shots. LeBron James also came in doing what LeBron James does, chipping in along the way. He had 23 points and 9 assists. Uh, But, you know, it was funny. (laughs) Four players scored 96 of the Lakers' 109 points. Davis with 34, James with 23, but Shooter had 24, and Andre Drummond had a very good game. 15 points up 12 rebounds. Lakers really used their physicality to get in there, make it a game, um, just junking it up. And even with that, the Suns played well. I mean, Cameron Payne chipped to 19.7 assist. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton had good play. I do have to point out, and this is horrible, and I feel so sad because it happens uh, every postseason for him, but 
Chris Paul. 6.5 assists. 6.4 assists, sorry. Uh, just looking totally out. Can barely dribble the ball with the right hand, much less bring it over its head to shoot. Made a couple of jumpers, and even then it looked so off his normal shooting form, you knew he was hampered. Uh, he is battling, man. He got pulled out uh, midway through the fourth quarter for good by Monty Williams, who, who said after the game that he just couldn't watch Chris Paul out there like that. And it, it sucks for him because you remember he had hamstring problems when they were up 3-2 a couple years back, 2018, over the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. Um, You know, you just have these situations that are just like, you can't help but feel for the guy, you know? Uh, I had a friend I was talking to earlier uh, yesterday saying, that, oh, um, you know, if Chris Paul was healthy, they would have beaten the Lakers last night. And I don't know about that. I'm not saying all that. Lakers would have come back, bounced back game. Uh, I don't know if Chris Paul would have made it uh, easier for the Suns to defend it on Anthony Davis any more than they did. I think Andre Drummond would still been a beast, and LeBron James would have been who he is, which is another thought. I'll get to that in a second. But to go back to Chris Paul, I just feel bad for him because – I mean, he always gets these worst breaks, you know? Anthony Doyle on Twitter actually pointed out, like, what players have had the worst um, playoff luck, you know, in the NBA. Obviously, Chris Paul front and center. Um, Elgin Bailey will be another one just, you know, knocking his head, knocking his head against the finals again and again, loss after loss after loss. And then one year he retires 13 games in the season. In the 1972 season, the Lakers just rattle off a record-setting season and win the chip. That sucks, you know. I brought up another player, Nate Thurman, Nate the Great, back in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s. One of the great centers of his time alongside, you know, Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain. Kind of lost in the shadow with them, but he fought with these guys, you know. Battled, got his numbers, you know, was on some bad teams. Made the finals once in 1967 with the, um, the Warriors, where they lost to the Philadelphia 76ers and Will Chamberlain. But he battled on a couple more years, got traded to Chicago in 1975 for Clifford Ray. That season, the Warriors, you know, Rick Bear, they put it all together. They stormed their way to the finals and win it all. By the way, dispatching Nate Thurman and the Bulls in the conference finals in seven games. That, to me, will always be the worst in terms of playoff luck in general. You have to pour your heart out to Nate Thurman. Shout out to Nate Thurman. OG, look him up. He was a great that is just kind of forgotten. But going back to Chris Paul... Looks really bad, man. I really hope that he's able to kind of get some semblance of his health back. I worry that he won't for this series. I mean, he had a couple more days to rest it, but he had a couple of days in between now and then, and he looked almost worse. You know, like, it, it, nothing changed. He, it looked like apparently he needed help taking off his warm-ups over his head, and that is horrible. You just hate to see a competitor like CB3, one of the all-time great point guards, great players in the NBA in general, just continuing to put this team on his back and carry them unprecedented heights just like he did the year before with another team and the year before with another team. And yet, this is where he's at. It sucks. But he's not the only one battling injury. Um, LeBron James, I already mentioned 23 points, 9 assists. Um, but he looked off in game one, right? And even in that game, he had efficient 18 points and 10 assists. He did not look much better in this game. Sure, you know, he's making his jumpers, you know, he's making great reads, good passes, but it looks like he's just surviving off of the fact that he is an all-time great basketball mind and not so much the fact that he's an all-time great basketball player. Most of his shots were of the deep three or fadeaway J variety. It wasn't anything finishing at the rim. He did have a breakaway dunk, but it was a breakaway wide open, nobody near him. You know, he had a couple where he would kind of go off around the corner on a pick and just stop short and make that cross-court pass or, you know, one of those nice LeBron James passes, but ultimately one that's like, hey, you know, old LeBron would have finished that over the top, you know? Um, 
it's just kind of rough to see. He just doesn't look the same. There's no explosion. There's no real burst turning the corner. It's just not something that's there, and it sucks. Hopefully, he can get some rest in return, too. For the Lakers, even further implications, because I don't know how many games you're beating the Suns team with LeBron playing at that effectiveness in AD. They both play well, but again, LeBron's an all-time great. Like, that's going to happen. AD, if he gets more and more geared up to speed to the guy who dropped 42 on them two weeks ago, sure. You could see that, but right now, I mean, this was a tough one. This was a tough one. I mean, it was made a lot closer than it probably was, um, only because down to stretch, the Lakers pulled away to at least a reasonable margin of victory, and then they made some dumb fouls on Devin Booker as he was going to shoot, like, three straight possessions to help them chip away with some free throws. But, I mean, the game was over, you know, like a minute and a half in the game. Uh, like, LeBron hit the dagger three, and that was pretty much it. But you did have the Suns there, and that's the problem. The Suns... They are pesky. They are not going away. You're going to be physical with them. We, that, that's understood. They're still going to play. You know, Cameron Payne went off, and they rode Cameron Payne and Devin Booker all the way back in. And it was it was a lot. It was a lot for them. I mean, again, also the fact that four players, four starters, that is, combined to score all those points, that's rough. That's rough. Uh, if I'm looking at what the Suns would need to do, I mean, that's simple. Make open jump shots, please. Thank you so much because um, the Lakers just they haven't they haven't done that. They just haven't done that. I mean, KCP's been horrible. Uh, he did not do any better. 0 of 4, all from three, all missed. Uh, plus 19, played good defense, four rebounds, but that was an issue. You know, all in all, the Lakers shot 10 of 33 from three. Playing Paul Gasol, what do you know, was actually a good idea. 20 minutes for him, six points, two rebounds, two assists, a steal. He played well. All right, and having some gravity meant that Anthony Davis could play more in the paint. Did he as much as he'd like? No, he did not. But the fact that he could was beautiful. Um, also, I mean, Drummond, 24, point, 24 minutes, 15 points, 12 rebounds. He played solid as well. He definitely made his presence felt on the physical end, and that's on the physical side uh, as far as rebounding and making his, 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 his self felt down there. And that's what you want from a guy like Andre Drummond who, Let's be real. It doesn't bring a whole lot else to the table aside from that. So you want to make sure that you have that. But you also want to make sure that you're putting your team in the best position. So last game, you know, you had a lot of Drummond, AD at the five, a sprinkling Montrose Harrell. Uh, game two, you did not have any Montrose Harrell. Uh, you had AD. You had Marquise Morris a little bit. You had Marcus Saul a little bit. And there's some more bounce, some more tinkering of the lineups to do. But, oh, man, it was – the Lakers mm. – I, I'm probably going to do more thoughts on them in a future show. I just don't know why the constant tinkering of things that might work when you have a blueprint in hand of things that will work. I don't understand the need to meddle, the need to make things different or keep things the same when they might not work. And Andre Drummond did just enough for me to, okay, justify, of course, his start in game three in, in a couple of days. But still, it just, I don't know, something about that, I just feel like, if it doesn't bite the Lakers in this round, if they make it out, it will bite them in the next one. But going to the Suns, Devin Booker at 31 points, only three assists, one rebound, didn't do a whole lot. Did go 17 to 17 from the free throw line, so you had that. The only other players scoring double digits were DeAndre Ayton with 22 points on 84% from the field, two rebounds, one assist, and then you had Cameron Payne, 19 points, three rebounds, seven assists, was a spark for the Suns all night long. Really helped them not only push back 
on, on on when the Lakers were really just trying to establish authority all the way through, but also really cutting that lead and make things interesting down the stretch. Cameron Payne, man, I mean, 32 big minutes for him. Uh, ultimately, the Suns just kind of battled foul trouble throughout as well. Uh, Jay Crowder had four, DeAndre Aiden had four, uh, Cameron Payne uh, fouled out. Uh, you had two apiece for Chris Paul and Dario Saric, three for Devin Booker. It just wasn't a super good game for the Suns in that way. And even then, they still nearly had a chance before LeBron and Davis took over late. So you look at that series like, hey, we're tied 1-1. It's pretty good considering, you know? Right, so we're going to bring up tonight's games. Um, and then, obviously, by the time you listen to this, uh, well, time to listen to the next show, I'll have reviewed tonight's games and kind of went into the series a little bit for each one. But you have Philadelphia playing Washington on NBA TV. Uh, remember, Philadelphia leads the series 1-0. Bradley Beal played well, considering um, pretty efficient. Russell Westbrook did not. And Joel Embiid 8. That was kind of the synopsis for you for that series so far. Uh, at 7.30 on TNT, you're going to have the New York Knicks playing the Atlanta Hawks. Remember, Trey Young silencing the crowd. Julius Randle going 6-24. Hopefully, that's different, a different outcome for New York. They would definitely appreciate that. And then at 10 o'clock on TNT, you have the Memphis Grizzlies playing the Utah Jazz. Remember, Memphis shocked the Jazz and the NBA world winning game one. But Donovan Mitchell did not play then, and Donovan Mitchell will play now. So look forward to seeing what we get from Donovan Mitchell tonight after he's been out for a little bit with that ankle injury. Nice little stretch of games for him that's been missed. So let's see him come back, get that chemistry, see how the Jazz respond. Before I let you go, got some NBA birthdays to run through. Uh, this is what? By the time you listen two nights ago, but had birthday Kendall Gill. Uh, Kendall Gill averaged 13 points, four rebounds, three assists with the Hornets, the Sonics, the Nets, the Heat, the Wolves, the Bulls, all over the course of a, of a 13-year career. Oh, also the Bucks too. Couldn't forget that. So I'll run that back one more time. Hornets, Sonics, Nets, Heat, Wolves, Bulls, Bucks. He's 53. Uh, he was also 1991 All-Rookie, um, and he was the steel champ in 1999. So shout out to Kendall Gill there. Also, we got former lottery pick Derek Williams, who is 30. Williams was drafted in 2012 and played for the Wolves, the Kings, the Knicks, the Heat, the Cavs, and the Lakers over seven seasons. Uh, shout out to you, especially Derek Williams. I am looking at my Derek Williams Wolves jersey, the black alternate that were so fresh. They were so, so fresh. Also, just a Lakers note, have to bring it out. Former Laker Marcelo Huertas is 38. Marcelo played during some of the darker periods of Laker history, but he always was able to help bring a little spark. Couldn't shoot the three very well, if at all. I mean, he was pretty bad, 26% from three. But I do remember him keying some nice plays when the Lakers get their annual shock the world wins over the Warriors during their dynasty days when the Lakers are like, you know, 15 and 67, something like that. Shout out to Marcelo Huertas, who's 38. So again, you know, Kendall Gill, 53, Derek Williams is 30, and Marcella Huertas is 38. All right, so you heard tonight's games. You heard the recaps of these games. You got your NBA birthdays. That's all I really got for you. Uh, what I'm going to watch and read and listen to, um, not a whole lot. I went back to Basketball GM. They definitely uh, shot to Basketball GM. They made their game into an app kind of uh, on Android, Team Android, baby. Uh, you can check that out, kind of go deep on that. Um, I've been trying to rebuild a team and have them win a championship in three years. Yeah, and I'm playing my man Justin. You've heard him over here, Justin, match 26. Uh, but there's a mode in the game where you have to build your team to win a championship in three years. But, well, that's what we have, the, the, the challenge. But the real challenge in the game is that at the end of three years, you lose the best player. I mean, at the end of the year, you lose the best player on your team. So I start off with the Los Angeles Lakers, right? How LeBron James, AD, boom. 
First year, we lost LeBron. You know, which made sense. He retired at the end of the year. Boom. Then we ran AD. We didn't win the championship that later year. We ran AD. We lost AD at the end of the year. He retired. Boom. So then I made an offseason trade. Got Shea Gilgis Alexander. Got him in there as well. Bring him in with some young guys that built up. We're playing well. Did not realize that. Okay. I thought we had a pretty strong team. Win the championship. I've won my challenge. But we didn't win the championship. And Shea retired at the age of 25. And I lost. And it's stuff like that. I mean, basketball GM, I've said this before, it is such a fun game. Some of the modes they have in these are just hilarious to me, man. I mean, I'm going to run through just a few while I'm here because why not? But you got the Thanos mode, which is, um, you know, at the end of three years, you got you got someone that's going to be out, right? Um, no, Thanos mode, at the end of the playoffs, is a 20% chance half the league either um, retires if you're playing with real players or, or they die if playing with, like, random generated players. So that's something. After each event, it can't happen again until three years later. Uh, there's other challenges, though, like no draft picks. Just throughout the game, you will not be given any draft picks. You have to trade with other teams to acquire their picks. Or no free agents. You're not allowed to sign free agents except to minimum contracts. How do you keep going that talent pool? How do you keep developing young guy, young prospects and really making them into a super team? No trades. Lose your best player. That's what I was doing. You'll be fired if you miss the playoffs. I've done that. I've been axed. Or you'll be fired if you pay the luxury tax. That's also an interesting one. So uh, just uh, fun customizations on Basketball GM, which is, again, just for the bang for your buck, the greatest game out there. And, and it's really bang for your buck because it ain't costing you nothing. It's free. So definitely just make sure to go out there and check that out. That's what I've been watching, reading, paying attention to outside of the NBA playoffs. But that's it. I think I've rambled enough about the round ball. Haha, <laughs> get it? All right. Definitely show myself out. <laughs> this has been another edition of Round Ball Ramble. You know where to find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. Hoop Ball, you know what it is. Hoop dash ball.com on twitter at who ball tweets check it out and i am frosty y'all stay frosty and i will talk to y'all tomorrow this has been a hoop ball presentation